As we prepare uh, to turn to scripture uh, this day, uh, we are going to sing our prayer for illumination, uh, the song Ancient Words. So I invite you uh, to join us in song and in prayer um, as we turn to God's word together this day. covenants found in scripture, the earliest promise made in the early days of God's relationship with humankind and creation. It comes to us in the midst of the story of Noah, a biblical story that is remembered and well known in part for its dramatic details. Today we are turning to the scripture around the story of Noah as we seek to understand more about our God, ourselves, and the relationship that exists between us through the study of the covenants of Scripture. We will first hear what causes God to send the floodwaters to cover the earth, and then we will return to the story after the floodwaters have receded. Let us listen to God's word for us this day as it comes to us from the book of Genesis. Uh, first, I'm going to read to you from chapter 6, which isn't on your screens just yet, so just hear uh, this part of God's word. The Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth, and that every idea their minds thought up was always completely evil. The Lord regretted making human beings on the earth, and he was heartbroken. So the Lord said, I will wipe off of the land the human race that I've created, from human beings to livestock to the crawling things to the birds in the skies, because I regret I ever made them. But as for Noah, the Lord approved of him. What comes next in scripture is the story of Noah, his wife and sons in the ark, that large wooden vessel meant to withstand the coming storm and its waters, and all the animals of the earth taken in pairs upon it, so that once the waters recede, creation can begin again. 
We meet Noah and God at that new beginning. A couple of chapters later, as they meet one another in the aftermath of the great flood. Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of the clean large animals and some of the clean birds and placed entirely burned offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the pleasing scent, and the Lord thought to himself, I will not curse the fertile land anymore because of human beings since the ideas of the human mind are evil from their youth. I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth exists, seed time and harvest, cold and hot, summer and autumn, day and night will not cease. And we're going to skip ahead a slide or two to verse. Keep going. There we go. As for you, be fertile and multiply. Populate the earth and multiply in it. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I am now setting up my covenant with you with your descendants, and with every living being with you, with the birds, with the large animals, and with all the animals of the earth, leaving the ark with you. I will set up my covenant with you so that never again will all life be cut off by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the symbol of the covenant that I am drawing up between me and you and every living thing with you on behalf of every future generation. I've placed my bow in the clouds. It will be the symbol of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember the covenant between me and you and every living being among all the creatures. Floodwaters will never again destroy all creatures. The bow will be in the clouds, and upon seeing it, I will remember the enduring covenant between God and every living being of all the earth's creatures. God said to Noah, This is the symbol of the covenant that I have set up between me and all creatures of the earth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So it always seems a little bit ironic to me that the story of Noah is one of our most beloved children's tales in Scripture. If you Google it, there are plenty of Pinterest boards dedicated to Noah's Ark nursery ideas and Etsy shops ready to adorn a nursery's walls with handmade artwork detailing the Ark with all those cute pairs of animals poking their heads out its windows. Here are just a few examples. Everyone always looks so happy and copacetic in these images. Predators and prey all mixed in together, like this is just a lovely little boat ride they've all decided to take for fun. While I understand our propensity to reimagine Noah's Ark in these ways, the reality is that this is a hard and heartbreaking story. We hear the pain held in the story as God gives us a window into God's heart as it begins. Y'all, we are only in chapter 6 of the book of Genesis. Just five chapters in from the moment when God created the world and all that was in it and looked upon them and called them very good. We are only six chapters in and already we learn the Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth. 
and that every idea their minds thought up was always completely evil. In five short chapters, we go from very good to thoroughly evil, and we learn that God is devastated by our broken reality. The Lord regretted making human beings on the earth, and he was heartbroken. A God whose heart is broken by the ways we break one another, by the ways we hurt and harm what we have been given to steward, to tend, and for which to care. It is not divine rage and anger that is the source of the great flood. It is not some divine punishment meted out by a vengeful God. What begins the great flood is regret, the sense that everything has gone wrong. God's pain in witnessing what was once such a good creation be corrupted. The pain of watching something you intended for goodness and love unravel before you. Our heartbroken God looks out upon the earth and says, I will wipe off of the land the human race that I've created. From human beings to livestock to the crawling things to the birds in the skies, because I regret I ever made them. One can imagine those floodwaters as God's tears pouring down over the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, a long, sorrow-filled storm whose waters drown out all life on the earth except for those who have been preserved and are floating atop of them riding out the waves of God's grief in the ark God commanded Noah to build. It is hard to imagine what those days on the ark would have been like. It is difficult to place ourselves in the middle of that flood, in the midst of that storm, tending to God's creation, afloat what had to seem like never-ending waters, awaiting a sign of God's promise, in the midst of all that destruction. It is hard to quantify just how long Noah and his family and all those animals were on the ark. The rains lasted 40 days and 40 nights, but how long was it until the water receded? How long until the dove that was sent out as a scout could find an olive branch to return to Noah's hand? How long until the ark finally rested on dry ground and its doors could be opened and the life inside could walk the earth once more? It feels right that however long it took, Noah's first action once his feet hit the earth is to build an altar and prepare sacrifices to give thanks to God that it is over. The storm has ended, and life is reemerging in its wake, and these realities are cause for celebration and praise. It is at the scene of that act of worship that God arrives, the aroma of the sacrifice drawing God in, and that God makes the first covenant. God's promises to not only Noah and his descendants, but all of creation. 
between me and you and every living thing, God says. What is striking as God begins to make God's promises is that God acknowledges that the sinful reality of humanity has not changed. God names that the ideas of humankind are evil from their youth. And yet, God makes the covenant anyways, vowing to never destroy every living thing again as he had done, promising, I am now setting up my covenant with you, with your descendants, and with every living being with you, with the birds, with the large animals, and with all the animals of the, ark, of the earth, leaving the ark with you. I will set up my covenant with you so that never again will all life be cut off by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. As theologian Elizabeth Webb writes in her commentary on this text, the flood has not cleansed the human heart of sin, which we will soon see evidence of in the latter portion of chapter 9, right where we are as Noah's story continues. The flood has not cleansed the human heart of sin, but God knows this, and God enters into the covenant with us anyway. Perhaps the divine heart that was so aggrieved by human wickedness that God sent a flood is now moved by that same grief to seek another way to get through to us. So God promises to Noah and to his descendants and to every creature on the earth never again to destroy all creation with a flood. The sign of this covenant, God's bow in the clouds, is precisely the bow of battle. Ancient depictions of a deity armed with a bow and arrow are not unusual. To hang up one's bow is to retire from battle. That bow in the clouds is the sign of God's promise that whatever else God does to seek our restoration, destruction is off the table. The Lord takes his bow and hangs it up, hangs it up in the sky as a sign that the Lord won't use his power to wipe out creation ever again. The rainbow that appears at the end of a storm as the sun breaks through once more becomes a symbol of this covenant the Lord makes with all living things. It becomes a sign of hope of God's promise of peace, a reminder to God and to us of God's grace and mercy, that God will not return our evil to us. What this means for God is that the heartbreak will continue. What this means for God is that the sorrow that comes from watching us hurt and harm one another, watching us hurt and harm the creation we were gifted to steward, to tend, for which we are meant to care, will only continue. What this means is that God chooses relationship with us, no matter the cost to God. That God would rather love us than give up on us. That God would rather love us than leave us. As Old Testament professor Terence Freitheim writes, this kind of divine response means that God has chosen to take the route of suffering 
relative to sin and evil rather than annihilative power. For God to decide to endure a wicked world while continuing to open up the divine heart to that world means that God's grief is ongoing. God thus determines to take suffering into God's own heart and bear it there for the sake of the future of the world. God promises this to Noah and his family and all the generations that would come after them. God promises this to every living thing. All of creation near the beginning of the story of God and God's people in the world. Countless generations and thousands of years later, we will see the proof of that promise upon the cross. Our God is a God who chooses suffering over annihilative power. A God who takes the pain and suffering we cause into God's own heart and bears it there for the future of the world. A God who chooses relationship with us no matter the cost. A God who would rather love us than give up on us. A God who would rather love us than leave us. There will be no more nurseries in my home to decorate, I promise you. But should our daughters someday have children of their own, rather than a picture of the ark with all those smiling animals, I would have something different to grace their walls. Frederick Buechner, a Presbyterian pastor, writer, and preacher, was a man who, like all of us, experienced the pain of this world throughout his 96 years, but was confronted with it earlier than most when his father committed suicide when he was only 10. He wrote these words about the grace of God that you can also find at least in part in some of Etsy's shops. The grace of God means something like Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are, because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. Hear those words one more time. Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are. Because the party, the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. Friends, those are words of the promise. Thanks be to God. Amen.